Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio with me, Joe Moffitt. I'm one of the regular hosting panel for Engage for Success Radio and um, it's a real privilege for me to have got today's very special gig, which is to host our 500th radio show. I, I find it quite amazing to think that we've been doing these weekly broadcasts that slash podcasts, before podcasts were even a thing, I think, um, for what will now be 500 um, editions. So um, we want to mark the occasion um, with some very special guests who I'll introduce in a moment. But for those who may be listening for the first time, and, and, and if so, um, welcome. Um, but also, where have you been for the last 500 weeks? But uh, a little bit about who we are. Um, so Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement. We are the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement, and we're raising awareness and running events through area networks around the country, and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. Our mission is inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. Um, and during this special 500th episode, uh, we'll explore the stories and successes of what's been more than a decade now of the movement, um, reflect on some of the lessons learned, and, and most importantly, look ahead to some of the challenges um, that um, are coming down the track in terms of employee engagement. We've also had some contributions from many of our followers through social media of things that they would like to ask our special guest or points of view that they want our special guests to consider and I will introduce and weave those in as much as I can during the course of the next half hour but let me um, introduce today's very special guests um, and they very much are um, so I'm delighted we've got three guests with us today so I'm not going to do much talking I'm going to let them um, take centre stage but welcome to David McLeod and Nita Clark OBE who are founders of the Engage for Success movement, still very much involved in what we're about, sit on our board, and of course, uh, were the co-authors of the original report that kicked this whole thing off. Um, so welcome to, and we're also joined by Cathy Brown, who um, will explain how she came to get involved in the movement um, in a moment, but was one of, was our very first secondee. Um, and um, I had the privilege of working under Cathy as executive director of the movement um, a few few years back now. So um, what a trio um, and great to have you on the show and thank you all for, for making the time to join us. Um, so let, let's, let's kick off, shall we? Um, First of all, a little bit of a kind of retrospective. I think these kind of occasions demand that, don't they, really? Um, and I wondered, David, if I could ask you first, just to give our listeners a, a very brief overview of how the original report came about. Um, and then I'll, then I'll turn to you, Nita, to, to say how that then developed into the movement itself. So, David. Thank you very much, Joe, and uh, and hi everybody. And 500 episodes, what a what a fantastic uh, fantastic uh, part of the movement this is uh, this has been. Uh, it's great to have this chance and uh, and great fun to look back a bit. Um, I find it quite extraordinary to to remi remind myself that actually there was a time when I didn't work with Nita, um, but that goes back <laughs> a long way. Um, and uh, there was a at a point where Nita was working at number ten uh, and responsible 
for really industrial relations, uh, working under Tony Blair, and had really got to the point that some of us had got to that this this whole topic of how people are treated in the workplace is a huge factor in whether organizations perform and that the government who hadn't got a lot of money to spend might think about focusing attention in that area and independently i completed about 25 years running businesses and i've noticed that uh, different people seem to perform very differently dependent on what conditions were in place and i wrote a book on the topic and i presented the findings of this book to the then, I think it was the DTI in those days, and they'd just been asked, because the work NITA had done in suggesting to them they should look at it, the, they'd been asked to find someone from the private sector who might lead this work. NITA and I uh, were therefore asked to work together, but within about 10 minutes, uh, it, we realized this was a, a real kind of a business marriage made in heaven, and we've been working together ever since. So we were asked to write the report, the great thing about being asked by the government is that all doors open and we had the most amazing access to absolutely anyone, any organisation, any employer's organisation, public or private, uh, and we took full advantage of that. And a whole range of people, I hope some of you were involved right back then, um, really trying to get under the skin of really uh, enabling us to answer, I think, three questions. What is employee engagement? Is there any evidence that it matters? And finally, if there is evidence it matters, what, as it turned out, were four things that were present in organizations that did it well? So we wrote that report. Um, because we'd had so much input from so many people, it seemed to go down uh, quite well. But there was a, a sense from a lot of people that a report was a helpful start point, but we needed a great deal more than that. And I would just finish by saying that by this stage, we had uh, passed to uh, the Conservative government and we managed to persuade uh, the then Prime Minister, some considerable number of Prime Ministers ago, uh, to uh, David Cameron uh, to launch a task force at number 10, sponsored by about 30 of the country's most senior CEOs. And that, I think, is where where, where things started, a whole a mass, massively massive fun effort from a huge range of people. All we were doing, Nita and I, was orchestrating this effort uh, that led to uh, the next phase, which I think, uh, Joe, you suggest a good idea to ask Nita to, to pick up on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, David. That, that's great. And of course, that original report, which predated the movement that we now know as Engage for Success, um, is actually officially called Engaging for Success, isn't it? But it's often colloquially known as the McLeod Report. Um, so how did, that, how did that then become the movement Engage for Success, Nita? Well, I think what happened was when, when we had the launch uh, number 10, and it's worth remarking that this is probably about the only piece of work I can think of which was really started under government of one political persuasion and then picked up by um, the next government of a different political persuasion. And because mm -hmm. we had the, um, the, the, the support, the central support of the prime minister, um, we did manage to mobilize some of the biggest companies uh, in the country to take part I mean, country, um, and, and to support us. And as a result, we had secondees coming from People like uh, BT and BAE Systems, uh, Thomson Reuters supported us with um, setting up um, um, our website. And we, we, we had 
huge support. Now, the thing, of course, is that's wonderful to have at a national level. And, you know, you want the great and the good to bless you. But you also, the key is to be able to take that message out. And because we have the task force and because um, those leading lights of, of, of industry basically told their HR and comms departments to get involved. And so it sort of filtered down. And the more we were able to do, the more we were able to approach more organizations, the third sector, the public sector was also involved. And so it was a bit like ripples on a pond. Um, over a period of time, more and more um, organizations and individuals became involved. And we worked with lots of stakeholders like CIPD and CMI and others. I mean, we weren't in any sense pressured. Our view was the more people we could get engaged and involved, the better. And Kathy, I hope, will say a little bit about how it then really spread down to the localities and, um, um, you know, absolutely involved pe um, people involved in, in, as I say, in HR and comms and, and OD and so on at, at a kind of grassroots level. And that, I think, was the, the key to the success. It, it, it became a multi-layered um, movement. It gathered it gathered momentum of its own, and and so Kathy, um, where did where did you come in? You were one of the one of the first secondies, if not the first secondie, weren't you? I was sort of equal first with the wonderful Amber Kelly, uh, who was working uh -huh. for Circo at the time, right? And so we joined at exactly the same time, and um, it was a, an experience like no other. So I was working for BT. British Telecom, and mm -hmm. David and Nita had put out uh, a request for support to um, mm -hmm. all of those various organisations that had got involved with the original report. And uh, BT has, as many organisations of that size do, uh, a talent pool, and they take in opportunities like the one that David and Nita had offered. Uh, and I was at that point in discussion with my HR partner about my next steps at BT, and we'd identified communication and engagement as an area that uh, I was interested in and, and would benefit from getting more involved in. And so when their request came across the desk of uh, BT's HR director, my name got associated with it. Um, and that, for me, started uh, a two-year secondment, um, and then obviously subsequently... Um, leading the movement as executive director at a later stage that was like no other in my working life. I mean, it was an incredible experience. Um, but to have that first sort of meeting with David and Anita and realize that the first thing they wanted you to do was help arrange a launch at number 10 <laughs> with 30 huge CEOs and business leaders and everything else was a sort of, right, okay, this is a, a different place than, than where I've been before. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's a bit um, of a rite of passage. Yes, it's so exciting. Um, and, and I think in keeping with how the movement always was and what it was trying to deliver, um, it was an incredibly supportive environment in which to do that. Um, and so I think very much living by its, its own values at that point. Uh, but we did, we did that, that launch and that was um, an incredibly exciting thing to do uh, and Amber and I were both there and we treasure a picture of the two of us stood outside the door of number 10. Um, but then the next thing that I was tasked with was, um, uh, as Nita mentioned, the, the regional network. Um, so how did we make this not a bunch of folk, you know, in London, um, mm -hmm. but actual a grassroots movement that could make change? Uh, and so I and um, Amber and I developed the uh, practitioners network, which eventually spread uh, across the whole of the UK. Um, and so identifying people who would who would champion 
um, uh, the cause and champion what we believed um, you know, around shining a light on all of that best practice that was out there and getting it out there to share for everybody else. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we did. We, we spent the first year identifying those people, um, finding those areas, running events, running events across the whole country. Um, I remember being very excited when we'd run our 12th event, I think. We'd run some in Scotland. We'd run some fabulous ones in Wales. So we really did try and make sure that we were reaching all of the corners of the UK and, and gathering those people in um, and, and then enabling them to run their bits of the movement for themselves because that was really important that we weren't centralised in that way, that we were, we were decentralised and people had the power and the, um, the, the empowerment to, to make those decisions for themselves within those regional mm. networks. And that's been true. That's that's a, a principle that's followed through and is still very much true today, isn't it? And um, whether it be in the in the um, area network groups or whether it be in the topic specific specific yeah. groups, it's a it's a it's very much a, a, a social movement of people who coalesce around a, a shared belief in the importance of all of this stuff. But it's interesting, isn't it? Looking back at the time when you did this, it, it's not really that long ago. But but equally in terms of technology and communications mm-hmm. it really predated the whole social media um, movement didn't it in that sense you know you weren't really benefiting in those early years from a huge amount of uh, social media noise it was it was presumably picking up the phone and sending emails was it it was very email based absolutely mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and as much as we could getting out and about and actually meeting people um, which mm-hmm. has always been something that I personally enjoy and I think that mm-hmm. was one of the delights of getting involved with that regional network was the ability to go and do that uh, and talk to people in their organisations about what they were trying to do mm-hmm. and it was one of the yeah. huge values of um, need to mention the many many organisations uh, that participated in our second program um, but of course with all of those organizations we then had those people on the team uh, and we mm. could benefit from what they knew um, about engagement already in their organization and they were such an incredible force for spreading all of that knowledge back um, yes. into those organizations mm. as well um, I okay. mean I seem to recall at the point at which I left we'd had 40 secondees through the program which I still think is an amazing achievement well, there you are. And now you've answered one of my questions, which, which, which is going to be, what do you, what do you, and I want each of you to, to give me a brief one here. The, what do you think was, has been one of the greatest achievements over the last decade for the movement? So would you, would you say that? This is a question, actually, that was put to us by Helen Caton Hughes um, through, the, through, through LinkedIn. She's the creator of the Abundant Leadership Movement. And she, um, first of all, along with many, I have to say, sends her congratulations about the achievement of, five, of 500 uh, episodes of this show to, to, you, to you all. Um, but um, asking, what do you believe is the greatest achievement of engagement success so far? So I'm going to take that one as yours, Cathy, because I want yep. to keep this, keep this rubbing up. Nita, what would you say? I think um, it's difficult because, because in a sense, times have changed and the movement has changed along with it. And the salience of employee engagement, the understanding of it, the recognition that, you know, it's not just that people are our best asset, it's that people are our only asset. I mean, I think over time, partly because of the contribution of the movement and of many other people as well, but mm. also because the, the, the way our economy has moved and shifted, I think that, that the recognition um, of the importance of how you 
treat people, mobilize them, enable them to give of their best. And the absolutely critical nature of engagement when it comes to talking about performance and productivity. I think that there's a, definitely a greater understanding of that now because I've, people often ask me, you know, um, what the biggest change is. And I think, you know, we were seeing a little bit of sort of sandals and fluffy bunny. Um, <laughs> and now I think, you know, there's barely a boardroom that doesn't recognize they've got to think at least about how yeah. their people, uh, how their people um, are doing. Whether they do anything about it is, of course, a different it's, matter. It's the but at least there's questions. recognition. Yeah. Yeah. David, what would you say is the greatest achievement so far? Um, I'd say if you if you look down the mountain, I would, I would build on the comments made by Nita, which is it's gone from a sort of tree hugging topic to uh, something that's talked about seriously on board agendas. However, uh, as one of the very most senior chief executives uh, in the land uh, mentioned to us just the other day, it's not yet in the and he called it the drumbeat of management practice. It's not yet got to the point where it's given equal priority to the so-called hard strategic numeric strategic issues. Uh, it needs to. So the achievement is it's now talked about. It's now seen as a, 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 a proper topic, but we can't go anywhere near declaring victory because, as we all know, uh, the horror stories of how people are treated, the, the completely wasted potential and capabilities of people still litter the place at a time when our country desperately needs everyone doing the best job they can with the best sense of support for what they do. So there's a good sense of well-being and there's a good sense of contribution and productivity as such. We can have the, the standard of living and hopefully the quality of life we're looking for. So there's a long way to go, but the achievement is it's on the agenda. Yes. OK, lovely. Thank you. And, and I think this next one came in from Vicky Saunders. She's um, employer brand lead at Curry's, actually. And I think it's a question, it's a sort of, two-part two question, which leads us quite nicely from a bit of a looking back um, to uh, starting to, to think forward, which would be, what were the trends that you perhaps saw coming down the track 10 years ago, and how have they played out? You know, were there things that you, you expected that haven't happened, or you would have hoped would have taken on more saliency than they did um you know what were the trends that you saw coming and how they played out and then i want to start looking ahead so perhaps um kathy would you want to talk to that one first mm, absolutely i was thinking about this and for a number of years now when i go out publicly and i talk about engagement and i do a set of slides and i talk to a conference audience i've been talking about the impact of technology and ai um, and that it's mm -hmm. it's coming we know it's coming and it's going to change the world of work um probably beyond all recognition eventually from what we know it has uh, and and that one for me over the last 12 months has been the revelation of genuinely seeing that start to happen um and all of the thinking that we're going to have to do to incorporate AI in all its different forms in the world of work in such a way that actually it's positive um, and rather than, than negative. Hmm. And did we have any clue about that 10 years ago? We really didn't, did yes. we? 
Well, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. We knew it was coming. Um, you know, futurists out there, BT included, have been very clear about where some of the pitfalls might be. But mm. I don't think I don't think we had any idea of what the reality would look like, and that's where we are now. Um, right. We're starting to be able okay. to grasp what it's actually going to mean. Yeah, and the impact on on and and that's gonna that that's gonna have significant change on people's yeah. working lives, oh. either for for good or ill, isn't it? Nita, what would it you is. would you add to that, or would you identify yeah, I think, you know another what I trend? Think was, yeah, I think what was interesting was that one of our four enablers was the importance of employee voice. And I remember at the time, quite a lot of people were a bit kind of, well, what do they mean by this? Do they mean trade unions? I mean, employee voice, what's that? And yet, if you think over the, the, the past decade, the importance uh, of employee voice um, within organizations, not just as it were strategic voice, but voice as a, as a kind of early warning system, voice as the authentic, uh, giving you the authentic truth of what's going on in the organization. I mean, as I always say now, you know, employees are the canary in the coal mine. And if they trust mm-hmm. you, um, mm-hmm. they will tell you what's really going on in the organization, not the, what the kind of uh, the people at the top want to hear, uh, but the reality. And it can, you know, it's much cheaper to listen to your employees than it is to uh, bring in lawyers or PR people after the proverbials hit the fan. Don't let the proverbial mm. hit the fan. Listen to your employees. And I think that was a trend that we identified um, you know, very early, and I think it's absolutely grown in importance. Mm. Yeah, I, I think of, of the four enablers, that's possibly the one that has seen the biggest shift yes. in, in terms of it being voice, not just of employees, as, as identified by you guys, but also just generally consumer voice, yes. popular voice, audience voice across and that's been been enabled through technology of course hasn't it it has certainly helped yes mm-hmm. so david what would you would you add to that or do you agree with that point i, I certainly i certainly agree with that i think um going back to the original question i think when the report was first written our, our mind was really wrapped around the growing understanding that culture uh, you know, um, cultural strategy for breakfast, the famous Drucker quote, was beginning to catch on and behaviours and and, uh, and this, this sense that we're not, quote, human resources, we're human beings. And we sort of focused mm. very much in those areas. And I think over the last 10 years, and we've sort of alluded to it, but the, but the forces have encouraged the people issues and engagement to be taken more seriously, miles still to go, but... The huge push in diversity and inclusion, stress, well-being, hybrid mm. working, need to attract and retain people, uh, transparency, the demand for personalization, um, agility. I'm a marketeer by, by functional background. The need to make sure our competitive advantage uh, is uh, alive and well, meaning and purpose at work. I think AI, these things are forces that are taking the topic further up the agenda um, which I think is very important. The only point I'd slightly add is I think that uh, we we called it a strategic narrative. People want to have a sense of meaning and purpose now. It's hard to quantify it, but the evidence is pretty compelling. If we've really cottoned on, if you look at the work of Kahneman, I think that that enabler, why are we doing this? What do I get out of bed? Why do I get out of bed? Uh, what's the contribution we're making? not just the younger, but, it, but perhaps a bit more associated. We need to answer those questions. If we're looking for people 
to uh, to really embrace and own the opportunity to improve the business, the opportunity to give us greater customer service and so on. We've really got to get that one right. And that's drawn out of the organization and, and developed w- with all parts of the organization, agreeing and coalescing around what that's to do with. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's, that's it, absolutely. And actually that leads quite, quite nicely onto another, another question that um, Paul Burton asked on LinkedIn, wanted, wanted to sort of challenge you guys about really, and it sort of ties into the future. Um, if what you're saying there is right, David, and then, you know, don't, don't disagree with you, um, but what he, he makes the point that since the original report was written, lots has changed. Businesses have invested a lot in processes and programs to increase loyalty and performance. And yet, we're seeing quite high levels still of dissatisfaction, high staff turnover, which he suggests means that some things aren't really working. And he asks the question, what can an employer do to win the loyalty and the heart and energy of their people when challenges can be so very personal for different individuals? And does it come back to that purpose point that you were talking about there, David? I think um, look, every context is different, and and oh. we're all we're all individuals, um, oh. and we could just sort of stop there. But that that would that would be very lame. There are themes that run through this, and the overall theme is: are people being asked for their view? We talked a minute about about voice, the importance of really respecting people, respecting their views, listening to people. People do not expect a democracy. It's fine. It's fine to say to, to say we won't be following that for whatever reason, as long as we give a reason for why we weren't picking up an idea at the point in time. But if you want to diminish people, it's very easy. Just ignore them. And voice is about yeah. ensuring that people really feel asked and involved. So um, I think that's an absolute bedrock of, of engaging. And then, of course, doing something about it. I mean, the kind of we said we did. Uh, kind of um, umbrella to to this so people feel they're very involved with with this they feel heard uh, they feel listened to managers have time for them and that's where the symbiosis of of really effective systems and organizations enable people through a reduction in failure demand to focus more on these people issues so that you get into that wonderful upward spiral of people being listened to people's well-being being concerned about, therefore I put more energy in, therefore we do better, therefore we have more resources, <laughs> therefore we have better relationships, uh, which are the bedrock of, of, of so much, in, and particularly including innovation. Kathy, can you, know, I... you know, sorry. Oh, sorry, go on, Nita. Carol. I was going to say, I mean, I think part, part of the problem, and I think it's a really good question, is that we are, there's a lot of performative engagement going on. You know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, we're doing all these wonderful things and we're doing a survey and we're, we're looking at the survey results. Um, but actually, is it, you know, is there a bedrock of trust in the organization? You know, do people really believe that what the organization says it's doing? Are the values on the wall reflected in the day-to-day behaviors? Because these are the things that, that, that really put people off and cause, and cause people to leave. And I think that, that just saying you're doing engagement, uh, mm. you know, is, is, is absolutely not sufficient. 
You have to be really honest about what is the, the culture in your organization. What is the level of trust in your organization? Do you know why people are leaving? Do you know what they say on Glassdoor? And what steps are you taking to address the things that the people themselves um, are going to identify? And if there's just one other thing I would say is this, look, we haven't talked about it today, but Carol Black, the doyen of, 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 um, of uh, well, health at work, uh, and well-being at work told us that the biggest single thing that needs to change is that the relationship between individuals and their line managers needs to be improved because that's the biggest cause of workplace ill health. And she's absolutely right. And so some of the basic things like that, you know, never mind highfalutin, um, you know, aims and aspirations, are your line managers, are your managers managing people um, well and, and, and adequately and are they coaching them and doing all those things or is it basically still if we're completely honest a load of command and control and bureaucracy in the organization it's what I say I call it performative engagement and we don't want that we want transformational engagement yes absolutely so so thank you Nita so Kathy I just want to turn to you um, mm. to, to um, look at that in terms of the future how how do we, because I'm very conscious that you have more recently been working in a, in a practitioner role, you've been working in a not-for-profit yourself, um, mm-hmm. and you've also been working in the commercial sector as well. So what, what have you learned from that about what we can use, you know, how we can really mm-hmm. win the loyalty, the hearts and minds, and the energy of our people, um, if it's not just AI? What, what can we no. be doing? Indeed. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost exactly what Nita's just said. We need to not forget the basics. The basics are just really important. And uh, it's amazing how quickly they can get lost. So you know, good management, people mm-hmm. being able to, to speak, people having trust in the leadership of the organization. But the, the world that I've spent really the most time in over the last five years is the SME world. Uh, and it was always an area that we felt we hadn't adequately mm. grappled with through the resources of Engage for Success to, to any great extent. And we forget how many people are employed in that world or are running businesses in that world. Uh, and for me, that's where the future has got to go uh, and mm. where we look at that essential management and leadership culture that people come into at any level and at any size of organization. How do we adequately get over those principles, that you know, the enablers of engagement, at that level using the right language to do it and you know an element of brevity so that people who are running or working in small organizations who haven't got time to do anything other than what they're doing um, can actually absorb that information and that knowledge and understand how useful it is and how to quickly and simply get those basics in place and maintain them in whatever size of organization they're working in totally support that absolutely spot on Kathy Thank you, and thank you, Cathy, and thank you, Nita. Um, can I, we, we are right out of time. Um, it was never going to be long enough, was it, to explore all of this and, and, and look ahead. David, can I just quickly just ask you for one final observation on that and, and kind of where we, where we go for the future, and then I'm going to have to have to wrap us up, which is a great shame. I would just, I would, uh, just love us to... Uh, to take the opportunity of a, of a difficult environment to say we cannot go on as we are. We've really got to start treating people as individuals, as human beings, not human resources. 
We've got to put back in place empathy. We've got to realize there's a stakeholder view of the purpose of, uh, of business. And that if we treat people the way we as individuals expect to be treated, uh, then we are going to offer people the opportunity to offer more of their capability and potential and be satisfied in so doing. And it's a really exciting place. If I'm ever reincarnated, I know where I'm going to work because I've seen some of these places and they're deeply inspiring. And they're, well, they're, they, they're not associated with a Monday morning trauma. They're associated with the next part of the week that is life affirming. And that's what we need to uh, achieve as, as, as organisations, public and private, and as a country, given the things that we're facing. Here, here. Thank you. And thank you very much, um, David, David McLeod, Nita Clark, Kathy Brown. Um, and thank you to all of you who put questions and topics forward. I'm really sorry we weren't able to explore all of them, but hopefully um, you, you, you found the last 30 minutes um, as deeply inspiring to quote David there as, as I have. So thank you um, to our special guest today. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. Thank you to everyone who's engaged with the movement so far. Um, don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archives, just the 500 episodes, um, at any time. Just visit engageforsuccess.org where you can find out more about some of the themes and topics that um, David, Nita, and Kathy have been talking about today. And most importantly, where you can get involved in the movement if you've been inspired to actually want to contribute and take this on. We are entirely dependent upon volunteers and we've got lots of exciting roles that we would love to have some support with. So thank you again. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.